Well, this morning is a special uh, day for me. Uh, I've had this couple scheduled for several months to come and be with us this morning. Um, we go back a ways, although they're not that old, okay? But we do go back a ways, uh, especially with Alicia. Alicia started coming to Camp Maranatha when she was, I don't know how old, 10. She was 10 years old. She started attending Camp Maranatha. And uh, during all of those summers that we got to spend time together from the time that she was the little girl with the ponytail running around campus till now she's a young lady and she has married the love of her life, Chris. They met at Emmanuel College and now they're out doing ministry together. And they, in fact, ministry is taking them in the not so awful distant future. It's a few more months. Ministry is taking them to uh, to Kenya. I always think of Nairobi when I think of Kenya. But ministry is taking them into Kenya. But uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Alicia and Chris came back for the second year in a row to the camp that she grew up in. And they served as activities director of camp and they did a phenomenal job. I want you to know they made mine and Miss Sarah's life a whole lot easier at camp. So I want you to welcome Chris and Alicia Dunlap this morning. They're going to share where God is taking them and then Alicia's going to bring us the word. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me say a special thank you to Pastor Sarah and NR, you guys are so important in my life. And uh, I stand here today because you guys have served as role models and mentors um, through camp and then as an adult. So thank you for having me here. And any of the rest of you guys that are involved in Camp Maranatha, I'm not sure um, if there are any more. But thank you if you've ever been involved. And if you're not involved, go get involved. Uh, send your kids to camp. Go volunteer at camp because one week will change your life. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about missions. Uh, so this morning, uh, Chris and I are going to share just briefly about the ministry that God has called us to in Kenya. And then uh, Finn, the fish, and I are going to bring the word. Is that all right? So we'll share, start by sharing a little bit about our testimonies, how we got uh, to this place to stand here before you uh, today. And then we'll share a little bit about what uh, the ministry that the Lord has called us to looks like in Kenya and in East Africa. Uh, so I'll start. I grew up in Athens, Georgia. Um, I grew up uh, in church, but I grew up in a, a split household. And one of the, uh, the difficulties that that uh, brought on me, uh, and one of the things that I struggled with growing up, was finding purpose and finding passion. Uh, I grew up uh, in middle school and in high school, I had sports that got me through. Uh, I loved golf. I played it through college. And it was great, but I knew that it wasn't going to take me anywhere in life. And I struggled with this burden of figuring out what it was that I was called to do. I didn't have any, uh, like, I, I wasn't going to grow up and I wasn't going to be this or I wasn't going to be that. And I, I saw all my friends with those dreams and aspirations, and it, it really burdened me that I didn't have that uh, growing up. And so I, I came to my senior year of high school, still not knowing what was in store uh, after that time. Um, and I, I went with my youth group on a mission trip. 
I went because people had said you, you should just go out of the country. You should experience another culture. Uh, and so I did. I went and I went to Nicaragua. Uh, I didn't know really what to expect, uh, but it was on that trip where the Lord opened up my eyes and opened up my heart to seeing how people around the world love in ways that I had never experienced before, show joy in ways that I had never seen and experienced. And the Lord opened up my heart to serving people. Um, and I came back from that trip, and I, I wanted to do it again. I didn't know that I would be called into missions, but I, I wanted to, to go, and I wanted to continue serving people. And so I came back from that trip. That was uh, Christmas break of my senior year of high school. And I had the opportunity that following summer, uh, after I graduated, to go with my youth group. And this time, uh, I'd be going to New York City. Well, how many of you know that that's not a third world nation, but they need Jesus just as much as those all around the world? And so I went on this trip, ready to go, ready to go and, and serve the people of New York City, expectant. And it was there where I got what I wasn't expecting, and that was a call. A call to missions, a call of a lifetime of service. And before that time, I had just thought, well, I'd I'd take a few mission trips. I'd go and I'd I'd help people out where I could. But I wasn't expecting the Lord to do what He did, and that was to call me into missions. And I came I came back from that trip, accepting of the call, but not knowing what that really looked like. And I'm so thankful for the timing of things because. Uh, it had worked out that I was going to go and I was going to play golf at Emmanuel College, a Christian school. And here, three weeks before I get there, I get this calling into missions. And I'm so thankful because there were countless professors, countless pastors, countless people who cared enough about people like me, uh, who took those things that God had placed within me as a burden and placed within me as giftings and helped figure out what that is that God is using in my life. And now coming out of that season in my life, I know that I am called to teach, to train, and to equip pastors and leaders around the world so that they can be the most effective witnesses of the gospel, that they can be to their own people groups. My name's Alicia. I grew up in Greenville, Tennessee at Ashway Pentecostal Holiness Church, and I was called to missions in a service much like this one. We had a missionary come to our church about once a year. His name was Dan, and he served in Indonesia. And on this particular service, he had some extra time at the end, so he called up all of the young people in the church to pray over us. At the time, I was in about fifth grade, and at the end of Pastor Dan's prayer, he prayed a prayer of prophecy. And he said, I believe out of this group of young people, there will rise up pastors, and there will rise up missionaries. And when he said the word missionary at fifth grade, my heart started beating and I began to cry and I didn't fully understand. But even at that young age, I heard the Lord say, I want to use you. Will you let me use you? So your young people that are here, your young people that you've poured into for the past week, they hear from the Lord. And I honor you guys and I commend you guys for investing in your young people because it's worth it. And I'm standing here because my pastor is invested in me. And there was somebody who stood up and prayed a bold prayer that out of our group, they will rise up leaders for the church. So that was in fifth grade. Fast forward with me to eighth grade, and I want to take a mission trip. 
I don't know how to do that, but I know when the time comes, it's going to cost some money. So I took a little sheet of paper, and on it, I wrote, God, this change is for the first mission trip you'll let me go on. I folded it up, I stuck it in my piggy bank, and y'all know eighth graders, they got a lot of money, right? Tons. I mowed my neighbor's yard to pay for my, my flip phone back in the day. And so every now and then, I would stick in some pennies, maybe dimes, a quarter. If I had just mowed the day before, perhaps I stuck in a whole dollar, amen? <laughs> So that was in eighth grade. Fast forward again, fifth grade, eighth grade, and now it's my senior year in high school, and I have an opportunity to travel to Haiti for the first time. We had one month until the trip. I needed a thousand dollars and a passport, so I ran home from school. I dumped out my piggy bank, and I had seven dollars and eight cents ready to go. <laughs> but the Lord was faithful, and the Lord provided, and I went on that trip to Haiti, and it absolutely changed my life. I knew that I was called to missions, but it just absolutely confirmed it in my life. Uh, I continued to go to Haiti nine times over the next four years throughout my time in college. And what I found was a deep love and deep passion for serving in these third world nations. I love working with people, people of all ages, children, teenagers, adults, my elders, there are pros and cons to it all, right? But my passion in that is regardless of what season of life you are in, How does God desire to use your interests and your talents to lead to your God-ordained calling? We've been married now for about a year and a half. And in our time of dating, we really worked hard to figure out what it is that we are called to do together. Uh, We know that we aren't two individual missionaries going out uh, with individual assignments, but we are a couple and we are a team doing this together. And our calling together is to touch the world for Christ by ministering to and discipling community leaders and community members to foster growth in three different areas. And those are through spiritual growth, community growth, and economic growth. God's given us an amazing opportunity to pursue this mission that he has put on our hearts. In January, uh, we will be departing, hopefully for Kenya, uh, the first of the year, where we will serve alongside Kevin and Summer Sneed. They're some of our other IPHC missionaries, and they've been in Kenya for about 13 years now. We will spend two years with them learning and growing and gaining wisdom and knowledge about the ministry that they're a part of, because after a couple of years of training, the IPHC wants to send us to Uganda, just one nation over, where we will replicate some of the works happening in Kenya in the nation of Uganda. And we have three main areas of ministry that we'd like to share about with you this morning. Yeah, so the first main area of ministry uh, that we'll be involved in is through the work of East Africa Bible College. Uh, This is a Bible college that was established in the 1980s, uh, and its goal is to bring in pastors and uh, church leaders from around uh, eight different nations of East Africa and uh, disciple them and train them in a two-year program, uh, very similar to what someone might receive if they were to go to a, uh, a Christian college in America, only a two-year version of that. And our heart is to see these men and women uh, who are oftentimes already in ministry uh, but don't have any education in ministry. And so it's our heart to see them discipled, see them trained and equipped so that they can go back out into their own communities to be more effective leaders and pastors in their communities. Uh, so we'll work alongside Kevin and Summer uh, to help run the East Africa Bible College and then take those skills that we've learned in Kenya to Uganda to start pastoral training there. 
Our second main area of ministry is girls and women's ministries. We all know that there are girls and women around the world. They need to hear that they have a voice in the kingdom of God. They need to hear that they have a purpose and they have a calling to ministry. And they have a calling to go out and make disciples of all nations. So in Kenya, I'm going to be partnering with Summer to do just that. To raise up girls and women who will be leaders in the church and in the community. And you may say, well, how do you do that? Sometimes it means that we go out to a local church, we bring resources in their language, and then we find a woman in that church who we can empower and we can help grow her into a leader to reach her community. Sometimes it means we host um, girls and women's retreats, uh, like some of you may have been to in America, but Africa's flair on that. Sometimes it means we host empowerment sessions. More recently, Summer has began a, a empowerment group in the city they live. Particularly, this empowerment group focuses on single teenage mothers who are raising their children. These women are getting together on Saturday mornings for a Bible study and a meal. And they're learning about the truth of Jesus and who Jesus says they are, regardless of their past and regardless of their culture. What does Jesus say about their future? After they share that time of Bible study in the Word, they are uh, doing an empowerment session where they're learning skills. Skills such as small-scale urban farming. Skills such as soap making. And then how to take produce to create juice that they can in turn sell. So these women are being encouraged in the gospel. And then they're being sent out with skills to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their own communities. And the third main area of ministry that we'll be involved in is through the work of agriculture projects. Um, what this looks like on a practical level, I'll share a story with you. Um, a story of a young man we had the privilege of meeting in 2019 while uh, we were in Kenya. His name is Nixon. Uh, he goes by Pastor Nick. Uh, and he's a pastor from Malawi. That's a couple countries south of Kenya. Um, we had the privilege of meeting him at, at East Africa Bible College. He was a student at the time, uh, and he was in an agriculture course that I got to teach there. Uh, he was one of those students who it just clicked with him. He wanted to continue learning more. He'd always have questions after class, and you could tell that he was applying the material. And so when we left Kenya, uh, we kept up with him. He graduated last May in 20, or 2020, uh, and... He's went back to his home country of Malawi. Uh, in the midst of COVID shutdowns over there, and they had to face the same things we did, he started a church. Um, and he started a church in his home. And the church began to grow. People became, uh, started becoming coming to the church and, and knowing the Lord and his community. Uh, and about October, he ran into a problem. The problem was he began to run out of room. His church was growing so much that his house couldn't hold everybody. And they began to pray. They began to pray, one, uh, for land to open up, that they could start construction on a church. And secondly, they prayed for finances so that they could start construction on their church. That was in October. They began to pray. And by November, the Lord had fulfilled that request. He had given them the land that they needed and they began construction on their church. And we are so excited that ministries like this, pastors like Nixon, are growing and are flourishing because of the work of East Africa Bible College, uh, because of the fruit that has come out of there. And on top of these things, he's got a small farm uh, that he uses to grow corn. Uh, and so he had texted me about a month ago, and he had just harvested his first corn crop. Uh, and he, he said, you know, this 
this corn crop alone is enough to provide for me and my family for the rest of the year. And it's opportunities that we can give pastors to be sustainable and to help them become self-reliant that is so key to what we see in ministry. Uh, He has an opportunity not only to provide for his family, uh, but on top of these things, he's able to connect with people in his community. Uh, There are people in in the place that he lives who wouldn't want to hear anything about the name of Jesus, who wouldn't want to hear anything about Christianity. But instead of offering them conversation about Jesus, he can offer them conversation about their farm. And he can offer them conversation about agriculture. And he can build this relationship with people in his community so that he can share about the love that Jesus has for them once he has that relationship established. And he's seen many people in his church that are now Christians who started out that way. They didn't want anything to do with the name of Jesus. But now they know the Lord. They're faithful members of his church. And his church continues to grow even today. So we're excited about the work that's already been done uh, in East Africa, and we are so expectant about what God is going to do in and through these men and women. When Jesus was with his disciples after the resurrection, but before he ascended into heaven, he gave one last great command, and we call it the Great Commission. And Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of this great commission, each and every one of us still today are called to go and to send the gospel until the last has heard the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is Savior and we have everlasting life in him. So we want to invite you to do just that to partner with us as we go to send the gospel further into East Africa. There are three ways we ask you to partner with your missionaries. First, we ask that you partner with your missionaries in prayer. Please pray for us as we prepare to move at the beginning of the year. Pray for our families, that they would be encouraged, that they would have peace, that they would uh, feel support from others that are around them. Pray for the, the people that we're going to serve. I read a poem in high school, and the first line of that poem says, Last night I took a journey to the land across the seas. I didn't go by ship or plane. I traveled on my knees. When you partner with a missionary in prayer, you are being effective by traveling on your knees to the other end of the earth. You're being effective in seeing souls saved. You're being effective in seeing chains broken in people's life. And when you get to heaven... When you pray for a missionary, you're going to meet somebody from the other side of the world that got saved because you were faithful to pray. So please, please, prayer warriors, pray for us. Pray for your missionaries. Second, we ask uh, that you consider partnering with us financially. In order to get to Kenya, we have to raise a monthly budget. And we praise God, we glorify God, because he's provided about 80% of that so far for us. We're so encouraged at how the Lord has provided, and we're expectant about how he will continue to provide. Uh, Here's what this means for us. We need a handful of people in every church, about five people, that can say, I can partner with Chris and Alicia every month to be a part of sustaining the work at East Africa Bible College and Girls and Women's Ministries. And you might say, well, I can't do a lot. That doesn't matter because when an army of us are faithful at doing a little, God uses it mightily and he multiplies it for his glory and his kingdom 
when it gets to the mission field. So around you, we have some of our cards on the pews. And um, if you'll grab one of those cards and fill it out. Can I see that, buddy? Even if you don't think that you can give, um, I want you to fill out a card. Because when you fill out this card, it's saying, hey, I'll pray for you. And also, when you fill out this card, we're going to put you on our newsletter list, and we're going to add you on Facebook, so that you can stay informed about what's happening in the ministry, and so that you can know how to pray for what's going on in East Africa when you're all the way over here in America. So if you'll fill this out and return it to us at the end of the service, we'll be grateful, and we'll know that you're praying, and we'll know that some of you are giving, and we'll know how to keep you involved with what's happening. Does that make sense? The last way that you can partner with your missionaries is by continuing to be aware of God's voice in your life. If it's just the pastors and the missionaries trying to get the good news out, it's going to be a while before the last is heard. So we need each of you to continue to hear the voice of God saying, go, go into your communities, go into your workplaces, go into your families and share the good news. And it might be uncomfortable and it might be strange, but I promise and I stand here attesting to it that the best and most fulfilled life you can live is centered right in the will of the Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love that is fresh and new each and every morning. Lord, I thank you for the people under the sound of my voice, people that you created in your image, that you breathed the breath of life into, and that you desire to have relationship with. Lord, I pray that today, as I minister your word, that my words would be nothing but your words. Lord, that you would anoint me to share your word with the people, and Lord, that my words would fall on fertile soil, ready to receive what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we're going to be talking about Elisha, Elisha the prophet. Uh, many of you guys probably remember who he is and some of his stories. And we're going to pick up actually in, I know it says 2 Kings 2, but we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 19 if you have your Bibles and you want to flip there with me. Elisha, if we remember, Elisha is a prophet and he is called to follow in the footsteps of Elijah. Elijah was the prophet who called the drought on Israel. He's the prophet who called down the fire of God from heaven. He's the prophet who was fed by the ravens. He's the prophet who saw a man resurrected, or he resurrected the widow's son. And Elisha is called to follow in his footsteps. And I imagine Elisha thinks those are some pretty big shoes to fill. Elisha is called in 1 Kings chapter 19 while he is plowing the fields with oxen. Let's read that together. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So he, he being Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. 
Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So we have Elisha who is radically called into ministry, who says, yes, I'll go. And he separates himself entirely from his past. And he agrees to follow in the footsteps of Elijah. And as you flip through the next couple of chapters, you might notice that Elijah and Elisha, they kind of fall off the scene for a little while. In the next couple of chapters in the Bible, we don't hear about them. And at the time, uh, during that span of about four years, they were traveling around and they were working with the schools of the prophets. And Elisha was learning from Elijah. He was learning under the wisdom of Elijah. And when we hear about Elisha again, after his calling, the time has come that Elijah, his mentor, will be taken into heaven. And that takes place in 2 Kings chapter 2, if you'll go there with me. And can y'all hang with me for 18 verses? We're going to read all, all 18 of them. Look at your neighbor and say, I can hang. Thank you, thank you. All right, so we're going to read all 18 verses, and I have it up on the screen for you if you don't have your hard copy of your Bible. So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. So keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water, and it was divided this way and that, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, when they had crossed over, that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha said, Please, Let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God 
of Elijah. And when he also had struck the water, it divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So, the question is, what can God do for you? God is asking us, he is saying, my sons and my daughters, what can I do for you? And there's three responses that Elisha makes in this text that I think that we can learn from and that we can apply to our own lives to find greater faith and greater intimacy with the Father. The first is, we need to pray God-sized prayers. When the prophet said to Elisha, what can I do for you? Elisha made a big, bold God-sized request. And his request could only depend on God. Elisha said, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And when Elisha says this, he's actually referring back to the Old Testament law that the firstborn son would get a double portion of the inheritance. It's kind of like if you were to have three sons and you were to have one dollar, your oldest son would get 50 cents and your other two sons would get a quarter each. Your oldest son gets double. But Elisha didn't ask for a double portion of material possessions. He didn't ask for a double portion of cattle, a double portion of land, a double portion of Elijah's physical things. Elijah could have given him that, things that were physical. Instead, Elisha asked for a double portion of a spiritual blessing. And Elijah realizes that this isn't something that he can just give to Elisha. And so when Elisha says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah responds and says, well, you've asked a difficult thing. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. The prophet recognizes that despite the miracles he's performed, this is not something that he can just give. It depends only on the father. The prophet leaves this God-sized request in the hands of God. Jesus also teaches about bringing bold prayers to the Father in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. God desires to give good gifts to his children, to his sons and his daughters. We just have to have the boldness to step into the throne room of God and to ask. I read a book in college. It was a book that was recommended to me by a pastor here in the conference. It's called The Circle Maker. And I probably need to go back and read that book again because it really challenged me. And I have a quote that I want to read out of it. The quote says that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldness prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. God is moved into action when our prayers require a God-sized response. Timid 
prayers that we can reach out and control, they're in our own hands. Why are we even asking God to fix it if we can fix it ourselves? True prayers, bold prayers that honor the Lord are ones where we say, Lord, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to have to put it in your hands and trust and believe that you can do it. And when we step up and we have the boldness to ask, God is moved. God is moved when his people have boldness to ask. So do you have big dreams today? Has God planted something in your heart that you're waiting to see spring forth? It's time to be bold and to ask God. Do you need to see miracles in your family, in your church, in your workplace? Y'all can't control it. You can't control it. But we serve a heavenly father who desires to give good gifts to you. And it's time that we step up and we be bold and say, God, you've planted this dream inside of me and I'm giving it to you and saying, Lord, fulfill it. It's time to say, Lord, I have this miracle and I can't fix it. I can't fix my family. I can't fix my workplace. But Lord, you can. And I'm giving it to you and saying, God, you move, you fix it. We've prayed some bold prayers. We've only been married about a year and a half. We've prayed some bold prayers. We we asked that the Lord would uh, help us to pay off our student loans so that we can go and do ministry. That was a bold prayer for young people, and God provided. We've asked that God would provide for us to go and serve overseas, and we're seeing God provide. And these things are completely out of our hands, but the best life we can live is right in the center of God's will. And if you're going to be right in the center of the will of God, you've got to ask God to do bold things through you. Amen? Amen. When God says to us who have been called by him, what can I do for you? How will we respond? Elisha asked for a double portion of the prophet's spirit. He asked for a request that only God could give. Will we pray timid prayers that we can reach out and fulfill? Or will we pray bold prayers that require the hand of the father? Number two. We have to be committed to following God despite the obstacles. When Elisha said, what can I do for you? He had asked a bold prayer that only God could fulfill. Elijah responded and said, well, if you see me when I'm taken into heaven, it will be yours and otherwise it will not. Elisha didn't just get his response immediately right in that moment. He had to overcome some obstacles. First, he had to overcome physical obstacles. As Elisha and the prophet were on their journey, they went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. That was about a 30 mile or more walk. That's kind of like walking from here to Tazewell. Anybody want to start walking now? It's going to be a minute. And this wasn't a leisurely walk. They had to walk through the hills and the mountains and the valleys of Israel. And Elisha had to persevere to do that in order to even have the opportunity to ask for the double portion. And at any point in the journey, Elisha could have stopped. Because Elijah kept saying, hey, I'm going to go on, you stay here. And Elisha said, no, I will not leave you. I will persevere through the physical obstacles to receive the blessing. Elisha also had to overcome emotional obstacles as he and the prophet went from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. Each place that they stopped, the sons of the prophets in the area walked up to him and they said, hey, Don't you know that your master will be taken from you today? Elijah was Elisha's best friend. They had journeyed together for years. And at each stop, Elisha was faced with the reality that his best friend, 
his mentor, his brother, was going to be taken. I imagine each time he was posed this question that his throat would tighten and that knot would rise up and he would feel grief stricken and emotional so much so that when they, they came him, when they approached him, all he could say was, yes, I know. So be quiet. Elisha had to overcome the emotional obstacle of grief, of losing his friend to be faithful to follow through the obstacles to receive the promise of God. James speaks of trials and blessings. James chapter 1. This book is a letter written to believers which includes you and I today. And the opening of the letter says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. This verse does not say if you face trials or just in case you face trials. It says When, when you face trials with an S, we will face trials, but that shouldn't stop us from praying bold prayers. We just have to have the boldness to be faithful through the obstacles because we will face trials. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world and the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy and he will try his best to steal, kill and destroy us. But we have to put our foot down and say, no, I'm going to pray bold prayers. And I'm going to be faithful to follow through the obstacles. James finishes that sentence and says, Consider it pure joy because trials, the testing of your faith, produces perseverance. And perseverance, when it finishes its work, makes us mature and complete, lacking nothing. The third point, when God responds, we have to move. After these two men had traveled from Gilgal, to Bethel, to Jericho. They had one more stop left to make across the Jordan River. When they reached the waters of the Jordan, the prophet took off his mantle, he rolled it up, and he struck the water, and the two of them walked over on dry ground. As the two friends were walking along, the chariot of fire came, and it took Elijah up in a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha was there, and Elisha saw it. And the mantle of Elijah fell to the ground. And what did Elisha do? He bent down. He picked it up. And he immediately moved. Elisha went back to the Jordan. He raised the mantle. And he said, where is the God of Elijah? And he struck the water. And he said that as if to say, Lord, did I receive the double portion? Did I receive the bold request that I asked for? God, will you use me the way that you used Elisha? And when he struck the water, the water parted. And on the other side of the Jordan were those prophets who were there waiting. And they saw it happen. And they recognized immediately that Elisha had received the spirit of Elijah. When Elisha received that blessing, he immediately responded and he immediately moved and went into action. I want to share a quick story about a boy named Kiki. Kiki is a Haitian boy. He was three years old when I met him. And I saw him about twice a year, every year for about five or six years. Um, He's 10 now. I love him very much. And I'm so proud of who he's becoming. But there was one Christmas, we always took backpacks at Christmas time. There was one Christmas uh, that Kiki wanted a water bottle. He was about six years old at the time. So in Kiki's backpack, I made sure to put a water bottle. 
So when Christmas came and he opened up the backpack, Kiki screamed and said, Ooh, a water bottle. I'm a grown-up now. And Kiki immediately, his face was so joyful as he received this water bottle. But what he immediately did when he received the request that he asked for is he went and he filled up the water bottle and he shared with his brothers and sisters. Kiki had a request for a water bottle. And when the request was fulfilled, he moved. And he allowed it to be a blessing and an excitement for the other children as well. God wants to give good gifts to you, his children. But what if after he has blessed you, what if after he has given you the miracle, after he has seen that dream come to pass, he wants to use you to bless others? When we have big dreams or desperate needs that can only be fulfilled at the hands of the Father, we must bring our requests to him. We must persevere through the obstacles. And when God responds, we've got to move. So today, as we close this service, I want to do exactly that. I want to challenge you and say, who's willing to move? To bring a bold request, a bold dream to the Father. Maybe your bold move today is that you're going to say yes to Jesus. Maybe your bold move is that you've allowed other things to be first in your life and you've been hesitant of coming to the Lord because you're a little bit nervous about it or a little bit afraid. But maybe your bold new, uh, your bold move today is to give it a chance and say yes to Jesus. Maybe your bold move is to come and say, Lord, I'm willing to pursue this vision you've put on my heart and I know it's in your hands to see it through. Maybe your bold move is to say, Lord, I need a miracle in my family. I need a miracle in my workplace. I need a miracle in this county. And it's only you who can move. So today, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to say, will you stand at a distance like the other prophets? The other prophets, they stood at a distance on the other side of the Jordan. And yes, they saw the water part by Elijah. Yes, they saw the water part again by Elisha. But they stood at a distance and yes, they were blessed. But had they been like Elisha, they could have received a double portion. So are you going to stand at a distance being blessed or are you going to move in boldness and receive full provision and full fulfillment in the life of the Father. After I pray, I'm going to have two two opportunities for response. Okay, and I'll give instructions on that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are good and that you desire good gifts for your children. Lord, I thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to empower us and to give us boldness to enter into your throne room and to come before you and to say, Lord, I need you. I need you in this situation. I need you in this vision in my life. And Lord, I pray just that. Holy Spirit, you come and you fill the hearts of your people and you encourage them and give them 
boldness in Jesus' name. Give them boldness to go out in power to share your love with those around them. Give them boldness and faith to know that you are moving in their families and in their communities. Give them boldness to take one step, one day at a time as you lead them. And Lord, if there is any today that would need to respond, Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you would say today, yes, I need to make a bold move. I need to make a bold move because I've never accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. I've tried to find my own way. I've tried to find my own truth in this world. But you're ready today to take a chance. To take a chance, a bold chance on Jesus. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we are saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say today, I'm ready to take a bold move, I'm ready to make a bold step to take a chance on the Lord. And I want you to stick your hand right back in the air with your eyes closed. Pull it right back down. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that are here today that have said yes to you. Lord, I thank you that you have forgiven them from their sins by the blood that you shed on the cross. And Lord, I thank you that you are giving them life and life abundantly through your resurrection, and through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And second, if you're here today, and you have a need that can only be fulfilled by the hands of the Father, if you have a need that you can't even touch, you can't do anything about, and you're ready to be bold and pray a bold prayer, then I want to pray with you today. If you're here today and God's given you a vision and you're ready to take a step on it and say, God, I trust you, then I want to pray with you today. And I invite you at this time to come, to be bold, say, God, I put it in your hands.